Mark is one of our 300 pastors prayer partners who really are responsible, I believe, for bringing God's power to our church. I appreciate uh, his uh, willingness to pray. And I want to say just right at the outset, I'm a great believer in Lamb and Lion Ministries and particularly Dr. Dave Reagan. Aren't you grateful for Dave and his strong leadership? And I also believe in Bible prophecy. I agree with Dr. Billy Graham who said some years ago, he said the most neglected doctrine in the Bible is the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, we believe that at First Baptist Dallas. And uh, Dave, if you don't mind, I'm going to engage in a shameless 30-second promotion. And I'm going to say we so believe in Bible prophecy that beginning Sunday night, September 13th, I'm going to begin a year-long verse-by-verse study of Revelation. We're calling from here to eternity. And uh, if you have a church, go to a church that doesn't have a Sunday evening service, we'd like to invite you starting Sunday night, September 13th, to come and see us. If you come and visit, I promise we won't send you any offering envelopes, okay? Uh, so you just come as a guest and be a part of that series. We'd love to have you do that. It has been great to meet so many of you uh, before the uh, session today. You were so kind. Many of you watch our television program, Pathway to Victory, or listen on radio. And you were so gracious to me during that time and talking about the ministry. But I have to say, and I think uh, Dr. Reagan would agree with this, being on television is both a blessing and a curse. Um, a few years ago, most times people have something nice to say, but... Uh, few years ago, a lady called into our 800 number and she said, uh, you know, we enjoy your pastor's message, but somebody has got to tell him he's got the worst toupee we have ever seen on television. I don't wear a toupee, okay? So anyway, uh, uh, deacons and television viewers will keep you humble all the time. So uh, anyway, thank you for those of you who watch our broadcast and pray for us. It was the 17th century Jesuit priest, Balthazar Gratian, who said, Truth is abhorred by the masses. Now, if you don't believe that, I want to encourage you to engage in an experiment this next week. I want you to try making any one of the following statements around the break room at work or even in your classroom in Sunday school and just sit back and see what the reaction is. Just try making this statement. I believe only Christians are going to heaven. Everybody else is going to hell. Or try saying, I believe homosexuality is a perversion. Or try saying, I believe that husbands are to be the leaders of their families. Sit back and watch the fireworks. You'll be called everything from ignorant to bigoted to intolerant. And those are just some of the nicer things people will say to you. And by the way, don't be surprised if the charges don't come just as strongly from Christians as they do from non-Christians. We're living in a culture right now that has bought into the idea of relativism and they no longer stand for the truth of absolute truth. Now, by the way, if you think that is preacher hyperbole, listen to this survey that George Barna did. He did among Christians and George Barna discovered that 68% of born-again adults 
and 91% of born-again teenagers said there is no such thing as absolute truth. No such thing as absolute truth. Instead, we have bought into the idea of relativism, and relativism can be summarized by this simple dictum, everything is right sometime, and nothing is right, or nothing is wrong all of the time. Everything is right sometime, nothing is wrong all of the time. We have bought into absolute truth. And that's why Barnes says that activities such as homosexuality, cohabitation, pornography have now become permissible and preferable among Christians. Barnes says without some firm and compelling basis for suggesting that some acts are inappropriate, people are left with a philosophy such as if it feels good, do it. Or as another writer says, being good is now defined as feeling good. Now you may say, okay, Robert, so what? I mean, we're, we're, we're sorry that people don't believe in absolute truth, but how does that affect me? What I want to suggest to you this morning is there are three consequences of refusing to believe in absolute truth that are going to affect you and me sooner rather than later. First of all, embracing relativism instead of absolute truth encourages immorality. It encourages immorality. After all, if we jettison absolute truth and say there's nothing that is wrong all of the time, what's to keep us from permitting all kind of sexual activity? And by the way, this is the result of relativism that's most likely to strike your family. Uh, if there is no such thing as absolute truth, why shouldn't all kinds of sex, sexual activity be permitted? For example, what's to keep us from saying that pedophilia really is okay, sex with children? You say, no, Robert, now that's over the top. We know that is wrong, sex with children. Everybody knows that raping a child is wrong. Oh, really? Well, who says it's wrong? If there's no such thing as absolute truth, why is raping a child wrong? Well, the relativists will say because society has determined that it is wrong. And every society can determine what is right and wrong in its particular situation. Do we really want to let society determine what's right and wrong? Remember, 150 years ago, society, our culture, said it's okay to own another human being, that slavery is okay. Is society always a good arbitrator of what's right and what's wrong? May I remind you that uh, it was only 40 years ago that society said homosexuality is a, a psychological aberration, that most uh, states in our country outlawed homosexual activity, and yet today it is generally accepted even among Christians that while homosexuality may be wrong and not preferable, it certainly should not be considered illegal. Forty years from now, what's to keep our society from saying the same thing about pedophilia? Forty years ago, forty years from now, can't you hear people standing up and saying, well, pedophiles don't choose to be pedophiles. Uh, it's just part of who they are. Or, or some people say, well, you know, pedophiles, that is their, that is their preferred sexual choice. Why should pedophiles have to hide who they are? Why shouldn't they be allowed to live out their sexuality? Don't pedophiles have the right to happiness through the full expression of who they are? By the way, that is not as fully uh, far-fetched as you may think. 
In April of 2002, the United States Supreme Court ruled that child pornography in the virtual realm, virtual child pornography, is now permissible. Some psychiatrists are now jumping on the bandwagon to normalize pedophilia, sex with children. In July of 1998, the American Psychological Association published a paper that said sex with a child may not always be harmful to the child as long as the child, quote, enjoys it. That's the American Psychological Association. Now, in all fairness... The APA still maintains a no child molestation policy, but the fact that they would even publish such a paper shows that they are opening the door ever so slightly to this idea of normalizing pedophilia. And quite frankly, what's to keep them one day and overnight changing their designation of pedophilia just like they did about homosexuality in the 1970s? I was in college when it happened. I, I remember very well. Overnight. The American Psychological Association, which had said homosexuality is a psychological aberration, removed that designation, not because of any new scientific evidence, but simply because of the efforts of the pro-homosexual lobby. The same thing, I believe, will happen to other kinds of sexual perversion as well. Relativism promotes immorality. Secondly, relativism discourages evangelism. It discourages evangelism. I was watching a cable program not long ago, and the topic of the cable program was, is there only one way to heaven? And so the talk show host, a well-known liberal, was going out among the audience, and everybody was given the usual stuff about, oh, that's intolerant to say that, and so forth and so forth. But finally, one poor soul, this lady, raised her hand, and the talk show host went over to her, and she said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven because my Lord and Savior said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The talk show host said to her, My dear, in his most condescending voice, My dear, that is fine if you want to believe that. But you have no right to force your beliefs on me. Now, I want you to listen to what that talk show host is saying. He's making two conclusions, one obvious and one not so obvious. The first conclusion he's coming to is, if you want to believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that's fine. Truth is whatever you want it to be. But just because you believe it's truth doesn't believe, mean it's truth. In other words, absolute truth is only truth to those who believe it's absolute. Now, I'm going to talk about how ridiculous that argument is in just a moment. But the second part of that argument is, if you say an absolute truth, you are guilty of coercion of hate speech. To say that Jesus Christ is the only way for anyone to go to heaven is to be guilty of coercing people into your form of belief. And that leads to the third and I think the most dangerous effect of relativism. And that is relativism promotes persecution. It will promote persecution. You know, in a culture that uh, rejects absolute truth, the only vice that cannot be tolerated is the sin of intolerance. Or as one high school principal said, actually with a straight face, he said, we will not tolerate intolerance. <laughs> That's exactly the lunacy that we're dealing with today. 
In a culture that refuses to accept absolute truth, the only vice that cannot be tolerated is a sin of intolerance. Even among Christians, it is the sin of intolerance that cannot be tolerated. Um, some of you have been very kind during the break. Uh, you know that uh, if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you may know that last fall I preached a series of messages called Politically Incorrect based on my book, Outrageous Truth. And I took seven of the most politically incorrect beliefs that Christians can articulate in today's world and gave the rationale for why we as Christians believe these particular incorrect, politically incorrect truths. Well, one of them dealt with homosexuality. And uh, so uh, the title of the message was originally, uh, Homosexuality is a Perversion. And so every Monday morning, they put out my sermon title on the marquee there at First Baptist Church on Herve Street. So Monday morning, I was walking into the office and I saw that sermon title up there, Homosexuality is a Perversion. And I thought, well, you know, the average person driving down Herve Street in downtown Dallas, you know, might not understand. And so I decided to soften the title just a little bit. And I changed the message to why gay is not okay. Trust me, that didn't satisfy anybody. <laughs> if you were around at that time, you know, we had hundreds of protesters for the two Sundays that I preached the message down there. The blogs were filled up with all kinds of things. I received a death threat. We had to have the police in there and all of these things. I mean, it was all going on. You know, I expected all of that. I expected all of it from non-Christians, but here is what continued to surprise me. Some of the most vicious attacks came from other Christians. One man, a leader in a well-known denominational church in Dallas, wrote to the Dallas Morning News, and he said, Dr. Jeffress should not be allowed to preach this kind of message. He must be silenced, whatever the cost. Now, that is a professing Christian from a mainline church who believes that the greatest sin is the sin of intolerance. And by the way, this effort to silence Christians who stand for the truth, not just me, but people like Dr. Reagan and people like you who take a stand wherever you are, that silencing uh, process has already begun. Remember back in May of 2002, 56% of the lawmakers in Sweden passed a bill that would label, uh, that, that said that pastors who labeled homosexuality as immoral would be subject to prison terms up to four years. By the way, you don't have to go across the pond to see that kind of persecution taking place. A few years ago on our own continent, in Canada, a man named Hugh Owens placed an ad in the Saskatchewan newspaper that said homosexuality is an abomination before God, and he listed the Bible verses that uh, said homosexuality is an abomination. The Saskatchewan Human Rights Commission fined him $4,500 because some homosexuals said that when they read that ad, quote, it cut their feelings to the quick. And so Hugh Owens was fined $4,500. You say, well, doesn't he have a right to express himself? The Saskatchewan Human Rights Commission said his, 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 uh, his wrong was not that he said homosexuality is wrong. The mistake he made was attaching Bible verses to his position. 
Because the court said to cite Bible verses infers that this applies to everyone, and we will not tolerate that. They fined him $4,500. By the way, the same thing is happening in our country as well. If you're a reader of the Dallas Morning News, you probably know the name of federal judge Samuel Kent. He is the first judge to be indicted in 20 years. He was indicted on uh, sexual abuse charges and uh, is having to resign his position, thankfully. But back in May 5th of 1995, Judge Kent, who is, was the judge over the district court for the Southern District of Texas, mandated that anyone in a Galveston high school... Any student who dared mention the name of Jesus Christ in a graduation prayer would be sentenced to six months in jail. Now, I want you to listen to what the judge said in his ruling. This is a United States federal judge who is threatening anyone who mentions the name of Jesus Christ. Judge Kent said, quote, and make no mistake... The court is going to have a United States marshal in attendance at the graduation. If any student offends this court, that student will be summarily arrested and will face up to six months incarceration in the Galveston County Jail. Anyone who thinks I'm kidding about this order or I'm expressing any weakness or lack of resolve in that spirit of compromise better think again. Anyone who violates these orders, no kidding is going to wish that he or she had died as a child when this court gets through with it. How's that for the First Amendment rights of Americans? Apparently, Judge Kent believed the only people who have First Amendment rights are those who don't believe Jesus Christ is God's Son. Apparently, the First Amendment applies to everyone except evangelical Christians. And I believe we're going to continue to see this kind of persecution of Christians continue to intensify. Um, I'm preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes right now. And tomorrow morning I'm coming to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And the title of the message is Mr. Solomon Goes to Washington. And it's going to be an evaluation of what old Solomon would say about our current administration May I remind you that we right now have the most liberal president with the most liberal agenda in United States history. And if you don't believe this, just listen to what our president has done in his first 100 days in office. During the first 100 days in office, Barack Obama signed an executive order allowing taxpayer funding to go to international groups that promote or provide abortions. He lifted a seven-year ban on taxpayer funding of the United States Population Fund that is linked to forced abortion programs. He nominated one of the most pro-abortion governors in this country as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. He nominated a man who ordered the Indiana legislature to end its historic practice of beginning each session with prayer. He nominated this man to the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. He appointed the former executive director of the pro-abortion Emily's List to a major communications post at the White House. He expressed support for hate crimes legislation and will sign it, he says, if it reaches his desk. Those accused of inducing a federal hate crime could be held responsible for the actions of another person. For example, pastors preaching against homosexuality could be charged with a crime if someone listening committed a hate crime against a gay individual. 
he released a Department of Homeland Security watch list that included those Americans who were simply pro-life in their beliefs. Let me tell you what's happening. Whenever you have a charismatic leader with a defined agenda, the most liberal agenda in United States history, when you have that kind of leader with that kind of agenda operating in a culture that has bought into relative truth, you have the prescription for persecution. Someone, as our government is now, that is intent in enacting this agenda, the only thing that is stopping them are Christians like you who are willing to stand up and say, no, this is an affront to Almighty God. And that's why I believe this government at some point in time is going to put a target on all of our backs to, 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 to completely eliminate the opposition to their agenda. And I believe that time is coming more quickly than we can possibly imagine. Last week in Louisville, Kentucky, Chuck Colson was addressing the pastors' conference at the Southern Baptist Convention. And at that conference, he said to these pastors, Are you willing to say no to Caesar when Caesar says you cannot preach the Bible? I believe the time is coming when Lamb and Lion Ministries or First Baptist Church Dallas are going to lose their tax-exempt status if they stand up and preach the truth of the Word of God. Christians, are you willing to keep supporting ministries like this one when the government says you don't have an opportunity to deduct that contribution? The time of persecution is coming. Uh, if it doesn't, we'll be the only Christian culture that has escaped persecution. And I don't think that's going to happen. It's coming. And I'm going to tell you, what really concerns me is not non-Christians who have bought into relativism. That's to be expected. What I am concerned about are wishy-washy, wimpy Christians who will not stand up for the truth of God's Word. And you see them all around us. I mean, they're all around us. A worldwide known evangelist appears on a television talk show and the host asks him, Dr. So-and-so, do you believe that Muslims are going to hell if they have not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior? And instead of giving the clear biblical answer, he waffles and wavers and said, well, I can't make that judgment. Only God can make that judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, God has already made that judgment. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Or here's a Christian mother who's uh, encouraged, to, invited to offer a prayer at a local PTA meeting. And she comes to the conclusion of her prayer. And so as not to offend people around her. Instead of praying under the only name by which there is salvation, the only name that allows our prayers to go into the throne room of God, instead of praying in the name of Jesus Christ, she says, in your name we pray, O God. She wimps out. She wimps out. Here's a Christian serving on the local school board, and he caves into pressure to reject a science textbook because it has some questions about Darwinism, evolution. It's not a textbook that, that preaches creationism. It's simply a textbook that says, you know what? There may be some problems in that ludicrous teaching called evolution. And here are some things you're considered. And yet the Christian caves in and he says, well, you know, I don't believe in evolution. But after all, uh, science belongs in the classroom and faith belongs in the Sunday school room. He wimps out. 
It is time for Christians to have the guts to stand up and say, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it, and we are not going to back down from the truth. Now, if we're going to do that, there are three things we need to understand about absolute truth. And I want you to write them down if you can, because this is necessary to understand about absolute truth if we're going to stand up for it. The first proposition is absolute truth is universal. That is, the absolute truths of God's Word apply to everyone. And it's amazing to me how many intelligent people can't grasp that truth. Uh, sometimes on my way to work, I listen to Mark Davis on uh, WBAP, and Mark Davis is a Christian. One time this caller called in, and he the issue being discussed was whether or not the Ten Commandments should be displayed in the public schools. And this caller, who was a Christian, called in and said, Well, Mark, I believe we ought to display the Ten Commandments because they apply to everyone. They apply to everyone. And Mark Davis said, well, you and I are of the same faith, and we believe they apply to everyone, but not everybody believes like we do. And the caller said, well, that's the point, Mark. Even though uh, they may not believe it applies to them, it still applies to them. And Mark Davis said, well, you and I believe that way, but they don't believe. And down and down and down it went. You see, we have to understand that absolute truth applies to everyone, whether they believe it or not. You know, if I get up and stand on top of this Cornerstone Baptist Church on the roof, And I say, you know what? I don't believe in the law of gravity. I'm going to jump off and I'm going to fly down to First Baptist Dallas. What's going to happen to me if I jump off this roof? Let me tell you what. It doesn't matter if I believe in gravity or not. The law of gravity is going to grab hold and grab me down to the ground. Truth applies to everyone whether they believe it does or not. And you see this idea of relativism in so many different places. Uh, I remember watching the great worship service after 9-11 at the National Cathedral. And I remember a great Christian leader we all know stand up. And uh, in that service, he had the guts to mention the name of Jesus Christ, which I was glad. And then he completely wimped out. He said, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah to those of us who believe in him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, whether you believe in him or not. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Absolute truth is universal. Number two, we have to understand that absolute truth is revealed. It is revealed. You see, relativists believe that truth is something we construct. And every society or culture comes up with its own truth that it is constructed. But we believe that absolute truth is revealed. It's something we receive. Now, I know, and by the way, I, I was on Fox a few weeks ago, and the topic of discussion was the rebuilding of uh, the Republican Party. And they said, now, Pastor, what do you think needs to be done to rebuild the Republican Party? And I said, my goal as a pastor is not to get the Republican Party reconstructed. My goal is to get biblical principles enacted. That's what we're here to do. God is not the respecter of any political party. Okay, This isn't about politics. This is about the absolute truths of God's word. And we ought to stand up just as strongly against Republican administrations that violate the truth of God's word as we do Democrat uh, administrations. This isn't about politics. 
Um, many people have disagreed with uh, our last president, George Bush, on a variety of issues. And you may have your own beliefs about the wisdom of the Iraq war. But I was reading this book by Bob Woodward, Bush at War, and uh, Bob Woodward had interviewed President Bush about why he went in and invaded Iraq. And whether you believe that was a wise thing to do or not, I do want you to listen to what President Bush said to Bob Woodward. He said, there is a human condition that we must worry about in times of war. There is a value system that cannot be compromised, God-given values. These aren't United States-created values. These are values of freedom and the human condition and mothers loving their children. What's very important as we articulate foreign policy through our diplomacy and military action is that it never looked like we are creating that we are the author of these values. It leads to a larger question of your view about God. President Bush was saying, we are standing up not for our values that we have created, but from God-given values that we have received. And that's the important part about absolute truth. We are not creating absolute truth. We are simply articulating what we have received. And where is the depository of all of that absolute truth? It is in the infallible, inerrant Word of God. It is the Bible that is the depository of God's truth. Jude 1.3 talks about the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. Absolute truth is something that is revealed and received. Number three, absolute truth is exclusive. You know, in a sincere effort to promote harmony among people, uh, people will say, well, maybe we're both right. Maybe we're both right, because quite frankly, that's a lot more politically correct to say than to say, I'm right and you're wrong. It's a lot easier to say, well, maybe we're both uh, right. Maybe nobody has a corner on the truth, and we both are looking at the truth from different angles. But you know, the truth is, if there is absolute truth, then there has to be absolute wrong as well. And I think the reason we have such a hard time understanding and accepting that is we, we, we have confused two terms, diversity and pluralism. Diversity is the recognition that there are many different belief systems out there. And we all accept diversity. We all realize that there are thousands of religions in the world. You know, I like what G. Campbell Morgan said one time. Somebody asked him, how do you explain all the thousands of religions in the world? He said, there aren't thousands of religions in the world. There are only two. All the other religions of the world are spelled D-O. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you might earn your way to God. But there's only one religion, Christianity, that is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's all been done through Jesus Christ. But we recognize there are lots of different belief systems out there. That is diversity, and we're not trying to stop that. We're not trying to say in our country, we're going to throw in jail anyone who doesn't believe like we are. That's diversity. We allow for that. Our country was founded on that. But pluralism goes one step further and says, because there are a diversity of beliefs, no one religion can claim to be truth. Pluralism says all ideas are equally valid. And yet, any thinking person knows that can't be true. A person who accepts the notion of absolute truth must be willing to label some beliefs as wrong. R.C. Spruill talks about the time that he was watching the hearings on television trying to confirm Clarence Thomas as a Supreme Court justice. Remember, he was accused of, uh, by Anita Hill of sexual harassment. 
And R.C. Sproul says as he watched those uh, hearings going on, he really couldn't tell for sure who was telling the truth. But one thing he said was, I knew they both couldn't be telling the truth. Somebody was telling the truth, somebody was lying. And it's the same way when it comes to Christianity. Not all religions are telling the truth about God. For example, let's take Christianity and Islam. Christianity says the only way to God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Islam says that the way to God is through following the path of righteousness and this list of good deeds. And if you do these things, you will see Allah. Now, the fact is, hang on with me here. It is theoretically possible that both Christianity and Islam are wrong. Theoretically, it's possible that both religions have it wrong. But it is impossible for both religions to be right. If Islam is right, that the way to God is through good works, then Christianity is inherently wrong. But if Christianity is right, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, then Islam is wrong. If we are going to be willing to stand for absolute truth, we must believe that some things are absolutely wrong. Now, I believe that there are some Christians, quite frankly, who have misused absolute truth. They've used it as an excuse to persecute, mistreat other people. And we are never advocating that. But just because some people have perverted this idea of absolute truth, the fact that some people have misused it should not force the rest of us into what somebody has called a forced neutrality in which we dare not say anything that might offend another person. I want to close today by quoting William Watkins in his book, The New Tolerance. William Watkins writes, It is time for Christians to engage in a renewed intolerance. He said, We must not, we must violate, we must violate the new tolerance and become people marked by intolerance. Not an intolerance that unleashes hate upon people, but an intolerance that's unwilling to allow error to masquerade as truth. An intolerance that will call evil, evil, and good, good. May God grant us the courage to do just that. God bless you. Thank you very much.